Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by Mitch Joel and Mark Schaefer, and we're going to talk about whether or not blogging as we know it is actually dead, and if the future is really about publishing your content on other people's properties. It's going to be a very lively dialogue, and you're absolutely going to love it. If you want to reach out to me, by the way, you can email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. comes right to my inbox. With that, we're going to transition over to, to the, this week's awesome discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. I'm excited to be joined this week by Eric Fisher with a brand new find. How you doing, Eric? I am doing great. So what did you discover? What I found was an app that helps you to manage and structure your time better. What's it called? It's called 3030. And you mentioned to me that it was based on some interesting philosophy. Why don't you explain what that is? Yeah, the the philosophy behind this is it has to do with something called the Pomodoro method, which is essentially doing something in intervals. And by doing that, it helps you to maintain focus on whatever it is that the task is at hand. So whether that's work or that's working out or other things, by setting up a structure, you do one, you focus in on doing that work for a certain amount of time. Uh, in an in instance of this app, it's 30 minutes, although that's variable. And then you switch and you take a break. Again, they're suggesting 30 minutes. Again, 30-minute break, 30 minutes of work may be a little bit too much break time, but you can adjust the time for all these different activities and you can line them up in a sequence. So what, and, is, so what does the app actually do? Does it have an alarm on it or something? It, it, yeah, it has a timer and it has a different alarm. It has all these different icons on it. So you've got like an email icon, you've got a book icon, music, photos, uh, checklist stuff. And and then you can basically because you can you can create and then save these different workflows. So for example, if I wanted to say, all right, I'm going to hammer out some emails, I can set up, you know, 25 30 minutes of email and then I can set aside, you know, have the next interval be a 5 minute break. And then I can ha- repeat that email segment and I can set it up for, you know, a total of say an hour. Or something along those lines. Does it like start making some sort of sound when you're getting near the deadline, or is it just a simple little alarm? Well, there's a countdown. So, so what's cool is you could set this on your desk, and, it, and again, it's iOS, so you can set it up on your uh, full screen on your phone or on your iPad, whatever size. Hmm. And so you can see what interval you're supposed to be in right now, 
what interval is coming up next, how much time you have left in your current interval. You can even hit pause if, you know, say you get a phone call or something and you're like, okay, that threw me off. Let me start back in on where I was or start this interval over again. You know what this kind of reminds me of? I don't know if you ever watched the show, The Biggest Loser, but it reminds me of like one of those coaches with a timer in their hand. Yeah. Yes. You know? It's 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 very much it's like, like, all right, that. stop, mm-hmm. you know, and it's time for you now to take a break, right? Yeah. And and what's cool is, is there's even icons on here for like Twitter and Facebook. So if you want to say, okay, I have permission to right. go check Facebook or check Twitter or vice versa, say Facebook or Twitter is your work, like a lot of us right. marketers do, that can be the main interval. Gotcha. Very cool. Well, um, is it free? Does it cost money? It is free. And how do you find it? You can go to 3030.binaryhammer.com. 3030.binaryhammer.com. That is a really weird name. It is. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you can go to the iOS app store and just type in 3030. You'll and there's, find no, it. there's no slashes or anything. It's just no. 3030. Awesome. Eric, thank you so much for bringing that tip to us and hopefully uh, we'll be able to better manage our time because I can definitely speak for a lot of us marketers out there. It's very easy to get sucked into a rabbit hole and then two hours later to come out and realize, whoa, <laughs> I'm behind, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This this app is going to ping you and bring you back to reality and back to what you should be working on. Awesome. Thank you so much. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. All right, well, we're doing something kind of exciting and new where um, I'm going to bring you a little behind the scenes of how we do things at Social Media Examiner. I'm joined this week by Phil Mershon. He's our event director. Phil, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. How about yourself? Doing excellent. So what I thought would be kind of cool is for us to talk about a little bit about what's going on behind the scenes with Social Media Marketing World. Tell us what you're working on. Well, today I've actually been spending a lot of time thinking about our corporate track at the conference, and I've been looking at a number of the panels and other sessions that we're going to be having at the event and trying to match up all the advice that I've been getting through industry peers and our surveys to make sure that we've got the right sessions with the right people leading those sessions and the right panelists on the sessions. You know, it, it is kind of a mad science, isn't it, the way that we put these things together? I mean, wh- how do how do we make a good let's just talk about panels for a second. How do we actually make a good panel? What goes into that? What's the secret sauce behind all that? Well, the number one secret sauce, well, there's two things. One is we want to make sure we have the right topics. So 
I literally build a matrix on a spreadsheet and I go and talk to a bunch of our friends and say, what are the pressing issues? What are the burning issues that you see clients struggling with? Or if it's a corporate marketer, what are the things that you'd really like to learn about and hear your peers talk about? So I make a long list and cull that down to the ones that are the most important. And I'm staring at a list of about 12 or 13 sessions that we're looking at. And then I think, Who's going to be a great moderator? That's and really, I, that's a key part right there, isn't it? That, the moderator is the key to a great session. And I think we've all been to conferences and sessions where you're sitting in a panel room and it's a bunch of people talking, but there's not a conversation and you're not really getting value. Um, too much time is spent on introductions or banter, um, but you're not really getting to the valuable stuff. So we really spend a lot of time finding great moderators. And who are, yeah, who are some of those people that we've recruited to moderate this year? Well, and you mentioned Mitch Joel is getting ready to be on the podcast later this episode. And Mitch is going to be one of them. He is a phenomenal moderator. Um, Jay Bear is going to moderate a panel about influencer marketing. Chris Penn is going to moderate a panel about analytics. Brian Kramer is going to moderate a panel about employee advocacy. So those are just a few. They're they're great speakers, but they also know how to guide a great conversation. And it's funny because when you listen to these lists, you realize these are all people that are more than qualified to go out there and do solo sessions. And some of them are doing solo sessions, but there really is, I think, a gift to unlocking the people that are up on the stage. Now, how do you decide who ought to be on that panel once you've got a topic and you've got a good moderator? So then I work with the moderator because the moderator is the expert. You know, they know this topic. They know the industry better than I do and better than we do. And I say, who are people out there doing great things? And a couple things that I ask them to think about is, can this person communicate well? Will they function well in the context of a panel? Because some people really like to own the microphone and they might not give enough time for the other panelists. So you want to make sure that you've got that going for you. But also, do they have enough expertise, you know, when, when you start pushing them to go deeper, will they be able to go there with you? And will the people in the audience say, this person really knows what they're talking about. I want to go talk to them more after the session's over. So that means they've probably been doing this for a couple of years, at least in the role that they're in or in similar roles so that they, they can bring a lot to the conversation. Well, We've just provided you a quick little sneak peek behind the scenes of how we do things at Social Media Examiner and particularly at Social Media Marketing World. And with that, let's transition over to today's awesome interview. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to introduce two experts to you today. Our first expert is Mitch Joel. He's the president of Miram. He's also the author of Control-Alt-Delete, and he's host of the Six Pixels of Separation podcast. And he also blogs at twistimage.com. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hello, Mike. Thanks for having me. And Mark Schaefer is also joining us. He's a marketing consultant, author of The Content Code, co-author of the Marketing Companion podcast, and he blogs over at businessesgrow.com. Mark, welcome to the show. Yeehaw. So this today, is be fun. <laughs> these guys are excited to get started because today I we're, am excited. Yeah, today we're going to talk about blogging, and we're going to ask the question of whether the word blogging, as we know it, is dead. Whether the future is about publishing your content not on your own website but somewhere else, like a social network and beyond. Uh, Mitch has been a blogger for twelve years. 
mark for seven, and I'm coming up on 10 years. So we're all going to add our voice to this interesting dialogue. Uh, Mitch, I'm going to start with you because you've been blogging the longest. Um, how have your views on blogging changed over the last few months? And if so, why? I don't think it's been the past few months. Or even the I, past I, few years. Yeah, I think it's just an evolution of the platform. When blogging first came to be, you have to frame it in a world where there wasn't much else. You know, technology didn't enable us or empower us to do things like shoot videos and have them immediately be on YouTube or stream them live on Twitch or do a blab or do a podcast or even even just the sharing of images back then was pretty difficult. You couldn't just embed an image. It took a lot of work and then it created load factor times. Text was the first thing. And so the minute the publish button became democratized and uncoupled and was accessible to anybody and everybody, we all jumped in. Everybody jumped in. The evolution of it quickly for me happened when things like, you know, platforms to do smaller and smaller forms of, of, of text-based publishing. So Twitter, 140 characters. Images became a lot easier to share. You can look at things like from the early days of Flickr over to um, now Instagram and things like that. You know, video. So now we're even in the world of periscoping and live streaming and, and, and Snapchat. Very, very easy and simple to publish video from your pocket device. Right. So it's been a constant evolution where writing physical text was just the sort of first iteration. So the, the, the point for me where it became very different was for sure when Twitter became extremely popular and Facebook as well with status updates. Mm -hmm. It then became a lot easier for anybody who was writing blog posts to sort of step away from the sort of long onslaught of having to think of an article and just be able to sort of publish stream of consciousness. That was never my intent. My intent was always to be a writer. My background was in journalism and writing. It's what I love to do. I like long form content as anybody who follows me knows. So it became amazing at that point because I felt like we were able to sort the wheat from the chaff in, in a much more strategic way. People who were blogging just because it was the only way to communicate were sort of getting out of it. And it was now creating the space for platforms even like Huffington Post and et cetera to really move and progress and become more and more popular and a place for writers to write. Uh, I think that that's still fundamentally true. And I look at my blog as a place for a writer to write. The only difference is, is that instead of it being the, the hub um, in, in the wheel, I, I see it much more as the receptacle uh, of, of content, meaning it is the place where I definitely put all of my content, but it's no longer the primary place. And the primary place for me has just been based off of everything we've seen in the past short while, which is platforms like Medium becoming much more popular, platforms like uh, LinkedIn to publish on directly, Facebook Notes, um, even Huffington Post or writing for the Harvard Business Review, whatever it might be. Everybody offers a platform and place for people who want to write to publish. So for me now, it's much more about content distribution strategies and how do I put my content into places where I might find different audiences and obviously then all of that content is still residing on my blog but the cost of getting you and Mark and anyone else who listens to this to come to my blog has increased dramatically in the past short while because of all this content. You know, Mark calls it content shock. You can go back and look for years before that I was writing about this sort of, you know, if everybody's creating content, who's going to be the people who are actually going to be reading it, ingesting it, and, and doing anything with it? So very similar story. We very much agree on, on that premise as a thought. 
And so now I'm like, I I don't want to spend my days sitting on Facebook and Twitter shilling everybody to come to my blog, Six Pixel Separation. I'd much rather just po- publish directly on Facebook or publish directly on Harvard Business Review and use that as my distribution platform. So to me, it keeps changing and it's iterative and it changes dramatically as, as it is. It's a sort of week by week thing at this point. Mark, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I largely agree with Mitch. I, I think you started off, Mike, by asking, you know, is blogging dead? I, I think blogging will be dead when reading is dead. <laughs> I think that there will always be a place for long-form content. And, of course, uh, we're a bit distracted now because we've got all these other things. Podcasts are really hot. And streaming video is really hot. And, of course, this is taking some readership away, some eyeballs away and attention away. But it's not because the content and the blogging is less important. It's because these other ways of learning and consuming content have been underserved. So a lot of people love podcasts. Uh, this is They love being able to multitask and consume content at the same time. And, and it's only been enabled recently through the advent of, of smartphones because now we're carrying a radio station around in our pocket basically all the time. And so, so podcasts are growing. Video, the live streaming video is growing. I, again, not because blogging is less important. It's because that these ways of learning have been underserved. You know, I had one woman tell me, I, you know, I really want to learn from what you have on your podcast, but I simply cannot listen to podcasts. Could you please transcribe them? So, I mean, this is a lady that she recognizes the value of the podcast, but she can't learn that way. She wants it long form. And I think Mitch is onto something here that really what's changing the most is not really what we're doing, but where. And this is a conversation that really is has not been uh, very... Uh, robust hasn't been very vital on the blogosphere, and and I, I don't know if people are putting their heads in the sand or what's going on, but there there are cataclysmic changes going on with how how content is published and consumed, and I'll just point to one example with you know, Facebook creating this notes function, which basically is encouraging you to blog on Facebook. I think the reason we got into this conversation is because I cut and paste a blog post on a Facebook, a long-form post. And Mike, you said, is this a blog post? And I don't really know what it is. I mean, it's long-form content. It's my ideas. But the difference is, Mitch talked about these different places to distribute now. The difference is, is that Facebook and LinkedIn and these other platforms, they don't want links back to our website. They want the content they want to keep the people there. They want to be the internet. And so I think this is going to, this suggests a new way of thinking about social media, about content marketing, about where is that magnet for these inbound leads. It's not on your website anymore. It's, well, it's you know, I have to ask, is it a blog if it's not on a blog? That's where I was going to go. I mean, I think yeah. the one place that I, I disagree with Mark, you know, he said, you know, uh, blogs will be dead when reading is dead. I don't agree. I think writing uh, will be dead. 
uh, you know, when, when there's no more readers, not blogging. I, Huffington Post used to be a blog. I don't think it's a blog anymore. Mashable used to be a blog. It's not a blog anymore. These have become publishing platforms. I am moving away from the terminology because I think it is losing its resonance. I don't call it a blog post anymore. I call it an article or I just call it a posting. I don't call myself necessarily a blogger anymore. I call myself what I've always called myself, a writer, sometimes even a journalist if it's more journalistic based than just writing. I don't actually say anymore, I'm going to publish this on my blog. I just talk about publishing in general. And I do think that there has been a very big movement away from that word and that vernacular in the past short while. LinkedIn doesn't refer to it as their blog platform. Uh, you know, when you when you contribute even to, to a lot of these platforms, which are using movable type and blogging technology as the fundamental platform underneath it, they're still not calling it that. Uh, again, look online, even New York Times, all of these uh, well-established publishing companies used to call their blogging platforms, well, these are our blogs, New York Times blogs, and they don't anymore. It's actually hard to decipher what is content that you would see in the physical press versus content you're seeing only online versus content that is shared. So I do think that the, the idea of what a blog is, is very much moving itself into the shadows, as it were. I'm not saying it's still not there. There's still not a lot of people blogging or using that term. But I do think that in the mass world, it is very much losing its steam and empathy. Mark, you wrote a book on blogs. Do you agree with that concept? Well, I guess, yeah. I mean, generally, it's, uh, I mean, to me, it's, it's kind of semantics. It's like uh, Tom Webster. You're not anti-semantic, though. I know that. No, 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 no. <laughs> Let me make that clear. <laughs> S-E-M-A-N-T-I-C. <laughs> uh, you were saying you and Tom. Well, Tom, uh, you know, he does a lot of research on uh, podcasting. My, this is Tom Webster, my partner on the Marketing Companion podcast, and uh, he works for this great company, Edison Research. And they, they really are doing a lot of work in the area of podcasting. One of the things they found was that people don't really know what the word podcast means. Would it be different if we changed it to internet radio show? And, um, well, you know, okay, I mean, that, <laughs> I mean that, that, might, that might help some people. But, I mean, podcasting and blogging, it's kind of part of the vernacular. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to really – worry about it too much i i, I mean but I, my, I do my, wonder mark like i do wonder when i think of things like spotify and i think of things like all the other streaming platforms apple music etc as they go more into this sort of audio format if there won't be that convergence right like if mark Marin won't be calling it a podcast but rather just his radio show that again it, it's that sort of blurring of the lines between what's the podcast what's the radio yeah. show based yeah. off of where it just sits and yeah. i can see very much i mean we talked about this a lot apple music you look at podcasting it's got its own app now it's got this so there's step one i think step two is full integration where you just don't know you just search for mark w schaefer and there comes his podcast it's there it's not called a podcast it just looks yeah. like you're accessing it the well, same a radio show yeah i mean in 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 three years, this is all going to be a moot point anyway, maybe right. maybe sooner, because we're all going to be having this thing called Oculus Rift strapped to our heads, and everything's going to be ver this you know immersive virtual world anyway. And we're just going to say what we want, and it's going to appear before our eyes. It's going to be this 360-degree immersive view. What does content look like in that world? What I mean, do you still read? Do you just listen? Do you watch? I mean, what storytelling and content marketing are going to go through a transformation 
that is going to be more profound than the Internet itself. I mean, Facebook said they're going to announce these uh, consumer applications. It's already been used in gaming, of course, but they're going to be using, introducing these consumer applications in 2016, and that's going to be the beginning. They're actually already out. Wait, but you guys are going a but, bit off the deep yeah, end. Yeah, that, that is right? a bit because, off the deep end. Let me, let me refocus I, I still this. think you're going to retest. But wait a minute. That's what I'm good at, work, going off right. the deep end. Exactly. <laughs> you maniac. Wait, now, hold on. Let me ask this question, text. Mitch, real quick. Let me ask this question because here's the thing. I think let's get back to where the content lives because that's the crux of the, the dialogue, you know, for the longest time, you know, uh, there's been a lot of us saying, Hey, don't build your house on rented land. And isn't that exactly what we're doing when we publish our content on sites like medium and LinkedIn pulse and Facebook notes? Not anymore. I think it used to be that. And, and, and because there was this uncertainty, there was what I call the MySpace factor. It went away. I think there are many established platforms now, and I could look at things like the Harvard Business Review, or I could look at things like Facebook. Again, I don't think Facebook is going to go away. I'm pretty comfortable stating that now. I may not have been several years ago, but now I am. And I believe that it becomes part of a portfolio of a writer. I don't look at, as when I was a freelance writer prior to the internet, I didn't go, well, I'm writing for Circus Magazine here, and I'm writing for Hip Parader over there, or Rolling Stone over here. And because I'm doing that, I should choose the one that's going to be around the longest so that people know. You didn't do that. You sort of went where the money was or you went where the audience was and you built up a portfolio. I, I just think that that value of the link, that value of organic search, while it is still there and it's still present and it's still real, I think there is value in augmenting that with platforms in which the audience is more present. The audience is more dynamic from the audience you may have. It may open up more doors for you. So now if you do a Google search on me, on Mark, I like the diversity of the fact that every link isn't a six pixels of separation post that I've been writing for, for 10 plus years. I like the fact that you see Harvard Business Review or Huffington Post or this podcast that I appear on. And to me, that's not a sense of rented versus owned. I think that creates a holistic platform for someone who's trying to create content. The biggest problem brands have right now in content marketing is the fact that everything they're producing is in this walled garden model. It's on my own, not these rented spaces. Well, guess what? It costs a lot of my, my, money, time, effort, however you want to quantify dollars to get a customer to you. And Mark will tell you this, I will tell you this, as each year progresses and the complexity of the internet continues, and it is, it is becoming harder and harder for us to maintain that audience and that community. Not saying that it's not there. I'm not saying Mark hasn't done a phenomenal job of developing a community in the comments and stuff that I just really haven't had the desire, aspirations, or energy to do. It's amazing for me to see. Jeannie Dietrich does this amazingly also. But the truth is, is that it is increasingly harder to drive somebody when they wake up in the morning to come and read a blog. So this idea of rented versus owned, I think right now is beginning to go away. I don't know if Mark I, agrees or yeah, not. But. I, I do agree. I think that's a, that's a mantra from the past. It might have been relevant two or three years ago. But, uh, but here's, here's the nuance. Um, uh, as Mitch said, we really don't have a choice anymore. In fact, we need to embrace it. Uh, we, I, you know, the word I'm using is we finally need to submit to Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I think we need to embrace this and we need to figure it out. But here's the trick and here's the nuance. Uh, I have this friend, Dory Clark. Uh, she wrote – she has a new book out called Stand, Stand Out. Out. She's great. Yeah, Dory's awesome. And so I interviewed her for my book. She was one of the thought leaders. And 
I, we were talking about you know personal branding, and she has never really had the home base. She's always published on rented land. She's published in Harvard Business Review and Forbes and other places, hoping that this would drive people back to her website, that this would help her build her brand. And she said to me, quite frankly, I, you know, I'm not sure this was a good strategy. I'm not sure this shouldn't have been more balanced. And the fact of the matter is when I publish all these, at all these places, it doesn't really drive people back to my website. And I think that's the important lesson here is that Mitch is right. The energy and the cost of dragging people to your site is becoming incredible. Uh, it's becoming, uh, you know, not really realistic for a lot of people and a lot of businesses. So if we do publish on rented land, quote unquote, um, what does that do for our branding? What does that do for getting people to know uh, more about our call to action? What do we do? What services can we provide? But I do think that the link to what you're saying, Mike, and the link to what Mark says is email right now. And I don't want to sound like an old an old fart here, but I really do think that those who build and cultivate a strong and dynamic relationship on email and have that list and can connect to them can have the rented stuff be owned, right? So now if I send you an email every week and it says, hey, everybody, uh, so great that you're always here. Check out this article I wrote in Harvard Business Review. Listen to this podcast I did with Mike Stelzer. Here's an article that I did actually post on my blog. And here's three or four things that you might find cute that I posted on YouTube or Instagram. You you have the leverage, right? You've now mm-hmm. built the database. You've got the relationship where if you want to pitch to them, connect to them or whatever, you have permission and you've done it ethically and correctly. But the the same time, you're not driving them with that extreme cost back to this destination that they will fatigue. People will fatigue. I mean, I don't kid myself. I publish, you know, five to seven times a week, a lot of stuff. And I don't kid myself into thinking that every day people wake up and go, Ooh, what's Mitch Joel doing today? I look at it like every single piece of content is a beginning, middle and end. So 500 plus podcast episodes, fantastic. If you come this week or go back three years and look at one episode, you don't, you didn't miss anything from one to whatever. And that's the part of content that I think is the biggest struggle because publishers, and I was a publisher of print magazines, we build our models off of consistency, frequency, reliability, and digital doesn't really entertain that. You can have 500,000 followers on Twitter. It doesn't matter if they're all not there when you tweet or those people who love you go back and flick their thumb up all the way through their feet <laughs> to see that one time you tweeted. And we forget about this. So we use these crazy vanity metrics that aren't very realistic. But if you can bridge that with something like database marketing, so let's call it email now, it could be something else. I think that is the bridge between creating tremendous value on rented versus having that mindset of it has to be owned. I got a couple comments here. First of all, when we when we throw out names like Huffington Post and Harvard Review and Forbes, um, we're talking about writing a column on an established uh, publication, which I think is quite different. Not true. Huffington Post was a blog, Mike. That's what it was. It was set up as a blog by Aaron. Okay, I, but it doesn't matter. We're a blog too. But what I'm trying to say is it's a big established um, publishing you know, outlet, if you will. It's a respected outlet that has an audience specifically designed to consume your content. And I see that as quite different than going and publishing something with LinkedIn Publisher or something in Facebook Notes. Mm-hmm. Do you see them as the same? Um, I, I, 
Well, that's a tough one. So you you cannot see your Facebook group in the same light as you would a publishing platform like Huffington Post, Mashable, or Harvard Business Review. I think those two are very distinct. One is your social network that you're publishing to in a different type of content versus another platform that has its own audience, et cetera, et cetera. I think Medium actually falls somewhere in the middle of that because the real value in Medium is obviously when you connect it to Twitter and all your Twitter followers see and all that sort of stuff. So it's almost like a hybrid between the two. And that's why I advocate if you're thinking about publishing three times a week, four times a week, think about that model of I'm going to do once a week on Huffington Post, what you know, one day on LinkedIn, one day on Medium, and you actually start building equity in each individual platform. And I think those three are nuanced but very different. I think there's a there's a left hand over here at Huffington Post and publishing on the a right hand of like your Facebook feed you're putting notes on, and then there's a middle where I think Medium is 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 definitely in, in, and LinkedIn as well. By the way, very similar to Medium, follows in that space. Well, here's here's the thing that I always think about is that you know, we talk about oh well you know you can ha- you can publish on rented land and on Forbes or Harvard Business Review. You know what? That's not accessible to most people. And the opportunity is that there is this possibility of reaching a vast audience on LinkedIn and Facebook that you could never build on your own um, if you're just starting out. And I mean, I always put that in my mind too. I have a friend uh, up in New Jersey and he's been writing this blog and he's kind of been fumbling around and stumbling around and he's doing okay. But then he started publishing on LinkedIn and it just took off mm-hmm. because it's it's just resonating and he's finding this new audience. And you know that's encouraging him to do more and to be bolder. And when you get the feedback like that, it helps you become a better blogger. It helps you uh, focus and and find your voice. So I mean, we're talking about some of the difficulties and challenges of having to now publish in these different places. But, but there's also great opportunities too. Yeah, but LinkedIn's a bit of a hybrid, right? Because when you publish on LinkedIn, the the number one benefit is obviously your network is seeing that, right? Mm-hmm. So like it's great and that's fantastic. And it's again, I agree with 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 Mark that it's it, it is bigger and easier than driving people to your site. The difference with LinkedIn, which is sort of like that medium X factor, is that if it gets picked up and a lot of people shared or talk about it, LinkedIn may drive that into a more generic portal, which they have that they might feed into whoever they decide based off their algorithm should also see that news item. And that is helping this individual very much expand, not even into LinkedIn where their network is, but into the greater LinkedIn network. So that's where the magic of that middle is happening. And in LinkedIn, I think Medium is like that too, which makes it very different from Facebook which Facebook really is not just your social graph. It's actually a fraction of your social graph because you got to boost it and promote it as well. Here's the scary part of all this for me. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty well published that Facebook in particular is sending much less traffic to publishers upwards of 50% than they were a year ago, despite even some new research that came out. So social networks are sending less traffic. Facebook now wants you to publish on their site only, right? By publishing, by, by upgrading notes. Twitter's eliminated share counts from websites like blogs where we, where we care about that kind of stuff, which may or may not have an impact on sharing because there, there is no social proof there anymore. And, you know, I'm, and LinkedIn has a brand new app out now that's starting to curate the feed so you don't see everything. So I'm wondering whether or not Facebook and others are the siren on the hill 
basically luring us with eyeballs, right? The promise of eyeballs. And then when we get there, it's the Hotel California song. You can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. I'm concerned about that. I'm concerned that that um, because they're not sending as much traffic and they're saying publish on our platform, that it's going to they're going to change the rules and then we're really screwed. And then they're going to say publish on our platform, but you're going to have to pay to get exposure. Well, of course they're telling us that. I mean, that's exactly. I mean, and isn't that, isn't that thinks, a problem? Yeah. No. I, I so, think yes, uh, it is. Okay, but, but here, go ahead. You're, you're saying it's a problem if the assumption is that distribution should be free, and I'm not necessarily sure, as a guy who was a publisher in my background, that that's just true. Like, just because the fact that we've always had it for free on the internet doesn't mean that it should be something that's free. That I do think that in a cluttered world like Facebook, and as it gets more and more cluttered. I do believe that the value in boosting something or paying to have it reach a larger audience has merit and value. Otherwise, it becomes so cluttered, and then everybody's doing it for free, and we're back in the same place where brands were ruining Facebook. I think Facebook is Facebook today because they were smart to stop the brands and to make them pay for access, much in the same way that if they actually tell people, yeah, publish and publish and publish, then you built your platform and ha, 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 we got you. Fine. I know a lot of people would see it as that. I don't see it as that. I see it as people are going to publish and publish. It's going to get clogged. I'm going to hate Facebook. I would rather have it where Mark or I sits there and goes, you know, for five or ten bucks as a publisher, I'd like people, more people to see this message. And I'm actually really comfortable with that. And I'm sure that runs very, very counter to what most people are listening to on this show because you know they're like, I'm just uh, trying to get by and trying to get posts and trying to get out there. But I'm telling you, if we all just post for free all the time, it's going to suck. And we have to have a filter. And maybe the filter is us and it's our money. And we have to put our money where our mouth is or our fingers are. That's one of the things I wrote about, you know, in the content shock post is yeah. that this is a this is a world that favors the deep the deep pockets are going to win. Not deep. And a lot. The cheap huh? pockets. <laughs> a lot and a lot of people resist, resisted that because you know the the internet is the great equalizer and everybody has a chance. Well, that's just not. I don't believe that's true anymore. But I think there is a difference here, Mitch. Um, and I don't disagree with you that hey, it's time to pay the piper if you want to, if you want distribution, you got to pay to promote. The 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 piece that that worries me is I I went to this um, session at uh, Columbia University and uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but he, this is the guy that's running um, the the publishing efforts and marketing the publishing efforts at Facebook, and he's trying to find ways to collaborate with the New York Times in these big places, and he's saying, oh, you know. We're going to create this vast audience for you. And if we create this vast audience, they're going to want to subscribe to you. And they've been running some experiments and they found out it, it hasn't worked that way. And, you know, the New York Times, it, it may get a bigger audience if the content is being seen through Facebook, but it's not translating into uh, subscriptions. And so now, You've got an industry, a publishing industry that's already reeling. It's already hurting. And now Facebook is saying, well, you know, we want the content. And, you know, if you're big enough, they'll share the ad revenues with you. Which but unfortunately of, is not a lot. And, and there's but a you're lot. That's also, exactly but, right. But don't, and, but don't confuse big brands being asked to publish uniquely on Facebook to individuals like us using Facebook as a way to build our networks that people are, are liking and following us, meaning there are people who are going to like and follow the New York Times, and they will, and I do, and I think it's great. And I love the fact that they'll publish you know, exclusive content or unique content to Facebook only. I think that's, that's great, and it's interesting. 
what they're talking about with this content is more advertising based, right? It's more we could because we're the New York Times and you're partnering with Facebook, we'll put this into people's feed who may not have necessarily liked your brand, but just might follow a certain demographic or psychographic. To the average person, Mark, that's not the case. The average person, it's still about what can I do on Facebook that resonates with you, keeping in mind that your Facebook experience is primarily 500 to 1,000 people, most of them either first-degree or second-degree connections to you. The most value is in the second-degree and third-degree, by the way, not the first. And how do I, every time I'm blogging, make sure I'm in your feed? I'm not necessarily sure that's the social contract we've had. So as Facebook diversifies, we're diversifying, but that's not necessarily the Facebook that the customer has bought into. So this ability to sort of pay or boost or whatever it might be to get more people in your network to want that specific type of content, I think does create a more egalitarian experience for both publisher, for both user, and both just people who are randomly connected on there. And I like that. I actually really don't have an issue with that because I see it almost like a self-cleansing component of what Facebook can be. Yeah, but the cleansing is going to be the the people with the most money are going to cleanse the people with the without any money out. No, because I mean, if you're not following the, them, it's just and is good content going to rise to the top, or is it going to be the ones with the money? That's the question, well, right? Yeah, but but that's yeah. content shock, right? That's the stuff I've been talking about, which is it doesn't matter anymore because even the best of content almost can't be heard through all the noise. Like there's enough. It's like you know the cream always rises to the top. Fantastic. Sometimes there's just too much cream, and we're in a world <laughs> right now of too much cream. Ah, that's great. There's a ton of great stuff. I mean, guys, do any of you use read it later apps like Pocket or or any of the, or Instapaper? I mean, I use Pocket, and I use Pocket primarily to to house long form content. If I clicked on it now, I think there's over six thousand items in there that I've yet to read that are all <laughs> amazing. I'm not talking about hokey stuff that I could just graze through. I'm talking about mm-hmm. well thought out thought people. So this isn't the question of does the cream always rise to the top? The problem right now, and again, this is content shock. This is stuff I've talked about. Is there's too much cream at the top, and now yeah. what has to happen is yeah, you got to fight, and I think one one part of fighting is paying to access audience, and I think that people should. That's one part. It's it, it, it it's is. one part. Yeah. Well, but we do have to think. We do have to think in a different way because now. Blogging is more than building a brand or creating a voice of authority. It's it's a battle for attention. Everything yeah. you publish is a battle for attention. You know, in the end, I think it matters what your business model is. Um, we have 1.1 to 1.3 million people a month that visit Social Media Examiner, and we will we will not be publishing our content anywhere else. It just doesn't fit for us. But what we're beginning to do is we're beginning to um, use the social networks in different kinds of ways because we're beginning to see the decline in inbound traffic from the social networks. Um, the traffic that does come from the social networks today is the traffic we're sending. You know, um, Organic shares, traffic from organic shares is down from all of our metrics. And um, you know, we have 430,000 people that we email every day. So for us, I'm feeling good, you know, that that the key for us is to essentially cultivate audiences on various social channels and then push them all back to the mothership. Um, and, and I think a lot of businesses that are not personal brands who build their, you know, their business on public speaking and books, you know, I'm not sure what's the business play for them, I guess, to, to publish on Medium and to publish on Facebook Notes and, and LinkedIn Publisher. I mean, it, it kind of becomes a management nightmare, doesn't it? Well, branding is is really important, and that's the advantage you have right now, is that your brand has become a 
part of the fabric of people's lives. They open up this email every day and they'll see some, they'll, 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 they know exactly what to expect. You're, you're, you're writing in a, in a tone and in a, in a way that they love. The content is reliable. And so you, you, you've built that brand and it's basically yours to, to lose. I mean, there's always going to be competitors out there. But I think you, you're right that, and Mitch is right, that the, the newsletter in this case is the glue that's holding it together. But your, your, your brand, rather than, you don't have to outspend people at this point because you have such a powerful brand. But what about other businesses that want to create content, you know, um, to ultimately draw people to a place that they can hopefully get them on a list? I mean, is that something you think the other, do you think eventually that's going to be possible on Medium and Facebook and all these others so that you, if you, no matter where you publish, you can still get the subscriber? You think that's where we're headed? But that was the magic of it before. I mean, the whole point was you'd come to the blog and who wrote this? And then you'd click on a link, whether it was even guest posting had that. That was the whole thing that everybody was selling on guest posting back in the day. Right. You guest post on social media examiner, uh, you get to, you know, you get a link to your site and then someone comes and that's your place where you can create a landing page, a call to action. And again, to me, I like this because it is the direction of, of trying to convert those who are most interested in hearing from you. Uh, so I don't look at that and go, yeah, it's not feasible. I mean, maybe, maybe Maybe the value is that you're managing multiple databases. So how many people am I connected to on Medium? How many people on Facebook? How many on Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever? I'm fine with all of that. I think that that's a good, well-rounded brand portfolio. Look, here's the way I look at brands and content right now, and it's fairly new, and I'm, I'm, I'm just sort of working this through in presentations and, and written content. I'm sure it'll be a, a big part of the next book. It's that if you look at what brands are doing, that includes people like us here on the, on the show, we are creating content, fantastic content creation, great. Next is we need to build a channel. I've got six pixels of separation. You know, Mark's got grow. Uh, we have different places that we put a Harvard Business Review, we both write it, fantastic, great. If you look at what happened, Amazon bought Twitch for a billion dollars. What's Twitch? It's a place where people go to watch live uh, people playing video games. And people thought, that's crazy. I can't believe Amazon battled Google to buy this company Twitch for a billion dollars. My comment on that speaks directly to what we're saying. That's the black belt level of content. Amazon said, forget this content creation, forget this channel. I'm going to buy the whole network because that's what it is. Twitch is a network. If you look at it compared to other platforms on time spent and users, it is in the network zone, not in the channel zone. Facebook is really a channel. You flick on that one thing, you look through your news feed, right? Snapchat is winning because it's a network. When you're on Snapchat, there's not really a feed. It's I'm, I'm coming to see you. I'm going to see BuzzFeed. I'm going to see Vice. I believe that the branding future of content, your future for Social Media Examiner, mine for six pixels, Mark's for grow, whatever it might be, is going to be in how you develop the network. So saying that there's this layer of complexity, Mike, I would say, good, because what you want to think about is not your content, not your channel, but what type of network are you building for your brand? Because that's the opportunity. Some of it will be free, like your own blog. Some of it will be paid, like I got to boost it on Facebook. Some of it will be like new, hey, this is sort of new and medium is just up and coming. So they're letting me do all this sort of stuff. And there's going to be variances between the two. Facebook is a mature platform and it's going to be more and more mature as notes gets more predominant. And that's how you have to look at it. Let's go back to Mike's comment though. I think this is a great illustration where he's got 430,000 subscribers on his uh, newsletter because he struck struck hard and, and did a great job in this golden age of of social media where there was a lot of sharing and you could get a lot of exposure for little or no money. And as Mike said, his 
social sharing, his social refers, or referrals are way, way down. So thank goodness he's got that base and you have a base and I have a base. But the point is that growth that used to come from the social referrals is declining. Mm-hmm. So now, yeah, but also the value of the network does too, right? Then it's like, oh, we got to, it, it's like the classic e-commerce story, Mark, right? Which is we got to email people more because they're not buying as much as when this whole email thing was new and exciting. Well, I mean, you got to be careful. I mean, I, no, I, I, but I, I think there's still opportunities for growth. We just have to figure out with now that the rules of the game have changed and the sands of Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter are, are shifting, how do we shift? How do we adapt and adopt and adjust? And I mean, I, I'm concerned. I, I heard it. Some some young woman was in a Blab podcast yesterday and said, don't build on rented land, da, da, da. Okay. That was right two years ago or three years ago. We need to adjust to now. It is radically different now. And we have to find new ways to build the audience and grow with these new rules and guidelines. I agree. And my my way is the network model. I think that to me, that is the only clear path. Follow what those others are doing and figure out what your network is. Is it a blog plus Facebook plus a a LinkedIn thing? You got to build your network versus the one platform. And yeah, I mean, I think that I mean, listen, I'm, I'm all for this idea that there is more dynamic value being created where people are versus dragging them to you and trying to convince them to leave a comment. Those days, that ship really has sailed. Well, it, bottom line is it's a lot more work. I mean, just in the last year at Social Media Examiner, we launched a daily podcast on top of our weekly show, which everyone's listening to right now. Uh, we also launched a weekly live blab show, which is an hour-long show. And we also launched a weekly YouTube uh, show called Social Media Marketing Tools. So we are creating all new media across all sorts of multimedia platforms in addition to the blog. And we're finding that's kind of, I think, the future. And people aren't reading as much either, which I'm sure is part of the problem. I mean, I'm just, I know that might be a little bit of a divergent, but- I don't think it's true. I don't think it's true. I don't think people are reading less. I I mean, I don't, I really don't believe that. I think the people who have always read are fascinated and have that much more to read. I think people in general never read. If you go back and just look at the history of media studies, it's like nobody's reading anymore. They're listening to radio. Nobody's reading anymore. They're watching TV. Nobody's reading anymore. They're playing video games. Like, it's just that meme that keeps coming back that isn't true. We read a lot more on the internet because that's all we could do. Mm. And so when new things came in, we shifted away. I can look at pictures now. They're not going to come in like click, 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 click off of a dial. Like, it's just natural. We are streaming at high def speed on Netflix. So the answer is, yeah, the people who were sort of just waiting around reading stuff on that web-based browser are now going, I got Netflix. But that doesn't mean that we're reading less. It just means the people who want to read are, have a lot more choices. That's how I look at it. So is blogging dead? Um, <laughs> each of you, give me, give me your quick summary. <laughs> yes or no. Or, and, and you can expand beyond yes or no. We'll start with you, Mark. Um, no. Uh, blogging is, is not dead. It's different. It's probably less important to establishing your social media presence and your brand perhaps than it was a few years ago. I'm actually uh, bullish about uh, blogging because I I, I think that this will evolve too. I think there will be new innovations and new ways to connect to to people with long-form content. So, I mean, I don't know what that's going to be 
right now. Uh, I have some ideas, but I, I, I think it's, you know, it, it's going to be different. It's going to be perhaps a little less important than it was a few years ago, but I don't think it's going to go away. Yeah, I, I, I've always referred to blogging as a personal publishing platform. And if I look at the landscape of what that means, I still think that any single one of us have the ability to create a piece of tax-based content, write it up, and publish it instantly to the world, free, quickly, and without an intermediary. So by pure definition, I don't think it's going anywhere. In fact, I just think we're seeing iterations of it from text to images to audio to video. What I do think is this sort of cachet of saying I'm a blogger or this is a blog will get sort of nuanced and faded and fuzzy into the background as we really do go from blog posts to articles and blogger to writer and having something on a blog to publishing, which I think is just a natural evolution of that format of content. Well, I just want to say thank you to both you guys. It's been a very lively dialogue. Um, I didn't get very much in, but I didn't need to. <laughs> um, why don't you write a blog post about it, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> Mark, why don't you tell people where they can find you? Well, first of all, thank you so much for hosting this very interesting debate. I just uh, I always love the opportunity to talk to either you or Mitch. So to have both of you here was quite special. And uh, you can find everything about me at businessesgrow.com. And how about you, Mitch? So right now, the easiest place to find me as we went from Twist Image over to Miram and continue to figure out all these links and stuff is MitchJoel.com. And uh, to echo Mark's sentiments, thanks so much, Mike, for pulling this together. Mark and I often jam on stuff like this on our own platforms and together. So it's always fun to, to throw someone like you back into the mix. And if you guys are looking for some really good podcasts, both of these guys have great podcasts. Um, uh, Mark, yours is called The Marketing Companion with Tom Webster. And what is yours called? Did you change the name of it or is it still Six Pixels, uh, Mitch? Still, still Six Pixels is Operation Blog and Podcast. It's just now called The Miram Blog and Podcast instead of Twist Image. Awesome. Guys, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks, man. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that episode. I know it was a very lively discussion. If there was anything that we mentioned and you didn't catch it, visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 178. Stands for 178 episodes. Wow. Also, don't miss a future episode of this podcast. We've got some amazing content coming to you. Hit that subscribe button on your podcast player. And if you like the show, would you let your friends know about it? That helps us you know, grow our listener base and nobody's going to say we don't want that. We do want that. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.